Learning to achieve Advaita Anubhava, the experience of non-duality and universal oneness. Understanding devotion and non-duality. Krishna says in Shloka 7.17, Desham jnani nitya yukta eka bhaktir vishishyate priyohi jnani nyotyartha maham mama priyaha of those, the one of wisdom who is engaged in devotional service is the best. I am dear to Satanawa, and he or she in turn is dear to me. Before proceeding further with this presentation, I would like to make a firm statement that whatever I say is based purely on Vedanta. I neither follow nor propound any religion or belief system just as I do not advocate doing anything without gaining a proper understanding. I promote the Karma Marga, the Sadhana Marga and the Jnana Marga. There is nothing more purifying than true knowledge. Nothing. That's exactly what Krishna says in Shloka 438. The course containing a hundred selected shlokas from the Srimad Bhagavad Gita has been created with the aim of helping seekers capture the essence of the life-changing scripture. The idea was born from my lifelong observation that a lot of people somehow prefer listening to others narrating stories rather than opening their intellect to truly analyze, study and infer universal truths that can be learned from Vedantic scriptures. People simply love to imagine metaphors to be true stories and believe them, particularly when those stories are told by famous people because remaining in ignorance is much more easier and less tenuous than taxing one's intellect to figure things out and evolve. Killing the science and logic part of the Vedic Sanatana Dharma and inflating the devotional aspect of the entire philosophy have helped avidya or ignorance to grow to astronomical proportions that it greatly reduces the chances of coming back to rationality. This issue of taking and believing all the metaphors in a literal sense has been worsened by adding the fear element into it, the fear of being punished, of carrying bad karma into future lifetimes, of not being able to make it to Vaikuntha and so on. Being a person who has looked death straight in the eye, smelt it and felt it, not once but multiple times, I have a suggestion to make. But before that, I'd like to ask you, do you know what those moments are like when one experiences the feeling of everything around them becoming dark and of life being sucked out of their body? I know it but I'm not willing to explain it in detail to people who are stuck in myths and do not have the courage to talk about death, which in fact is the only certainty in the lives of all living beings. As a person who has been on the edge of life, I suggest that instead of wasting your priceless time in trying to please God or deities or find out what comes after physical death, working on learning to attain a peaceful state of mind and good physical health would be more sensible. When you are dead, you are dead. That's it. Have you seen anyone coming back from the dead and describing to you what life is like on the other side? 
Reading Shloka 228 will help you understand this truth better. It is absolutely ridiculous to see some so-called educated people ranting on what happens after death. It is truly a pity these days that the more a guru or baba talks about what happens after death, the more spiritual and holy he or she is. That is utter nonsense. There are only two truths of life, which are living and dying. Ignorance of this fact leads people into mental slavery under organized religions, cults, godmen and godwomen who promise life after death. Read Shloka 1506 to know that there is nothing after death. Krishna says, Neither does the sun, the moon, nor fire illumine my supreme abode. The one who reaches the highest abode never returns to material life. All this Vedic philosophy is meant to help you learn to manage your mind, learn to come to terms with different situations in life, remove ignorance, realize that yourself is the all-pervading divinity and attain mental peace. It is mainly ignorance, one's fear of death and the thought of what happens after death, their greed for a good life after death or their poorly conceived idea of moksha or salvation that render them vulnerable to fraudulent people who sell them trash in the name of religion. Life, which is the greatest gift, is happening to you right now and the human mind you possess is the most amazing tool that you have been blessed with without which you would neither experience nor know anything. Happiness is a state of mind which can be achieved almost instantaneously simply by flushing all dualities out of your mind. Learn to master your mind, to benefit from its limitless potential, live a happy, useful, enriching and fulfilling life and whenever the time of your departure should arrive, leave with no regrets, peacefully and happily. Now, let's get back to Shloka 717. What does devotion service mean? Is it singing Krishna's praises all day long? Is it pouring liters and liters of animal milk on his vigrahas with the intention of making Krishna happy? Is it shaving one's head and dancing on the street? Is it abandoning one's duties and deserting their family to go in search of Krishna? No. Take a look at Shloka 1868 in video 96 of 100 of this course. Ye idam paramam guhyam mad bhaktesh bhavidasyati bhaktim mai param kurtva mame vaishyatya samshayaha Krishna says, the one who teaches this supreme philosophy to my devotees has the greatest form of love for me and offers to me the highest form of service. Such a person shall undoubtedly come to me. Jagat Guru Bhagavan Sri Krishna defines bhakti or the highest form of service unto him as understanding his teachings, imbibing them and sharing the knowledge with others. 
It has been the misinterpretation of terms such as bhakti or devotion that has led to generations after generations of irrational and unscientific beliefs and practices that have pushed people light years away from the actual teachings of Krishna. If you have read the entire Srimad Bhagavad Gita, you would have noticed that not even once does Krishna ask Arjuna to go to his temples and do all the meaningless things that many of the so-called religious people do. In Shloka 7.18, Krishna says, Udaraha sarva evaite jnani tvatmevamematam astittaha sahiyuktatma mamevanuttamam gatim While I consider every devotee to be virtuous, I regard the self-realized devotee as my own self because his mind is fully focused on attaining me as his ultimate goal. Did you see that? Krishna says that he considers the self-realized devotee as his own self. Did Krishna say anything like shaving one's head, painting oneself, wearing bizarre clothes, talking rubbish in the name of Krishna, bathing his vigrahas with milk, prancing on the street or rolling on the ground? Absolutely not. It is a self-realized devotee that attains Krishna's divine self. That is the essence of the Srimad Bhagavad Gita and the Upanishads, which are sources of the highest Vedantic knowledge. Whenever you are in doubt about performing any ritual or anything in the name of religion just because your elders want you to do it, try to find out what the Srimad Bhagavad Gita says about it. It is because one could say that this scripture simply overrides all others. Do you find it hard to believe what I just now said? Go and read Shloka 246 and know it for yourself. One of Sri Adi Shankaracharya's works, known as the Shatta Shloki, containing 101 shlokas, is a brilliant, smooth, enriching and thrilling path to understanding Vedanta. Reading it is truly a divine experience. Before I quote to you an amazing shloka from the Shatta Shloki, let me remind you of shloka 1020 of the Srimad Bhagavad Gita that I explained in video 12 of 100. Ahamatma Gurakesha Sarva Bhuta Shayastitaha Ahamadish Jamadhim Jamhuta Anamant Evacha I am the self Gurakesha situated within all living entities. I am the origin, the middle, and also the end of all beings. Krishna does not say that he is in the origin, middle, and the end, but he says that he is the origin, middle, and the end. This simply means that there are no two or it is Advaita, and that Krishna is the personification of the whole. A faulty understanding of the term bhakti leads to a dualistic approach towards understanding divinity, which only amounts to belittling and denigrating the all-pervadingness of the Supreme Divine Principle. Bhakti means holding on to a principle or truth. Markandeya's bhakti and worship of Shiva in his form of the Shivalinga indicates that Markandeya held on to the principle of Sat and Chit. Symbolically, the Shivalinga points to Sat and Chit, respectively eternal existence and consciousness. For anyone who fully comprehends the supreme truth, that physical death is of no importance or consequence to them, and that is what is meant by overcoming death. 
A dualistic approach using anthropomorphization or personification is usually followed only in the early learning stages of Vedanta, but not after a certain age and level of understanding. Please go through shlokas 1 to 5 of the 12th chapter of the Srimad Bhagavad Gita to understand better the reason for the use of forms to represent the all-pervading Brahman as also the various other natural forces in the form of deities. Now for Shloka 12 of the Shatashloki, Shloki, translated into English by Sri S. N. Sastri, who passed away in the year 2015. He is known to be one of the greatest and most respected scholars of Advaita Vedanta in the modern era. Atmam bhodi starangos mihamiti gamane bhavayanna sanastaha Samvit sutran viddho manirahamiti vasmindriyartha pratito that aspirant for liberation who, when engaged in activities in the world, looks upon himself as the wave in the ocean that is Brahman, when just sitting, thinks of himself as a gem strung on the thread that is Brahman, like pearls on a string, when experiencing sense objects through the sense organs, sees all objects as Brahman or Atman alone, and when sleeping, considers himself as immersed in the ocean of bliss that is Brahman, and spends his days in this manner, is the one who is established in the indwelling self that is none other than Brahman. How amazingly fascinating the shloka sounds! You, I, and all others are like the waves on the one all-pervading ocean of existence and knowledge that is Brahman. In this shloka, shloka 12 of the Shata Shloki, Sri Adi Shankaracharya gives simple steps on how to learn to attain Advaita Anubhava or the experience of non-duality, saying that when one is in motion, they could imagine themselves as a wave moving in the ocean of the whole. He then says that when one is not in motion, but stationary, he or she could imagine themselves to be a bead on the thread of knowledge. Do you remember Shloka 7.7 in video 1 of 100? In that Shloka, Krishna uses a similar simile, saying that everything is connected to him like pearls on a thread. Try doing the following. Shut your eyes and imagine yourself to be traveling from one place to another, let's say by car, bus or train. Once you have done that, do the same thing again, but this time imagining you are a wave in a massive ocean and you are traveling from point A to point B in the ocean. Now, try to imagine that if the ocean could think, what would it think of its waves? Would it look at its own waves as being separate from it? Or would it look at them as forms that have risen from itself? And what would the waves of the ocean think of the ocean? Would they think of themselves to be separate from the ocean? Or as simply forms that arose from it? Such contemplation, logical inquiry and disciplined study using one's intellect to figure things out, analyze, research and acquire knowledge is known as sadhana, 
and not performing meaningless rites and rituals, expecting things in return as reward for all those acts. I wonder what people who think they are collecting good karma by performing strange rituals with bhakti towards myriads of deities think that someone would recommend their case before Vishnu and get them a permanent place in heaven? Such childish stories exist in some organized foreign religions, but certainly not in Vedanta. Always remember that praying and asking for something goes completely against Shloka 247, which is to perform action with no attachment to the results. Krishna says, you only have the right to work, but never to claim its results. The results of your actions should never be a motive, but at the same time, you should not be attached to inaction. Arjuna had Krishna with him all the while, but he never asked Krishna for any favors. Arjuna only requested Krishna to teach him what was good for him. See Shloka 207. Arjuna says, With my mind in a state of confusion regarding my duty and the feeling of helplessness because of weakness, I ask you to tell me, what is good for me? I am your disciple and I have surrendered my soul to you. Please teach me. Simply emulate Arjuna. It is that simple. Be a hungry and eager but modest pupil in life. Be a seeker and not a superstitious religious fanatic. Remember these three steps followed by a true seeker. 1. Vicharana questioning and not blindly believing and obeying. 2. Shodhana, searching and researching. 3. Anubhava, experiencing the knowledge that has been gained. Here are some more words that can be followed in the path of seeking. Ask, question, debate, argue, analyze, comprehend, internalize. Experience. Shanti Mantra. Om Purnamada Purnamidam Purnat Purnamudachate Purnasya Purnamadaya Purnameva Vashishate Om Shanti 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 The invisible absolute Brahman is complete and this universe is complete. The visible complete whole comes from the invisible perfect and complete whole. Even when the complete visible whole is removed from the invisible complete whole, the absolute Brahman or the complete whole remains unchanged. Om, peace, peace, peace. Let us take for example a piece of jewelry made of gold. When you either cut a small piece of it, or even melt it, what remains will always be gold and nothing else. Another common analogy to explain this idea is that of a clay pot. Think about it, can you separate the clay from a clay pot? 
ईशावासीदगम सर्व यत्किंच जगत्याम जगत तेन त्यक्न भुंजीता माग्रद कस्य स्विधनम All that exists in the universe is encompassed and owned by the omnipresent supreme being. You own nothing, but you are provided with whatever is necessary for your existence. Enjoy the real by renouncing the unreal and free yourself from the never-ending bond of karma. Never seek unreality nor covet the wealth of another. That was from the Ishavasya Upanishad, which is the first Upanishad among the Dasha Upanishad, or the ten principal Upanishads, which are Isha, Kena, Katha, Prashna, Mundaka, Mandukya, Taitriya, Aitreya, Chandogya, and Brahadaranyaka. In the seventh chapter of the Srimad Bhagavad Gita, Krishna says it clearly and directly about the general lack of understanding of people regarding his universal all-pervadingness that pushes them deeper and deeper into ignorance through duality or dvaita. Krishna says in Shloka 7.19, Bahunam janmanamante jnanavan maam prapadyate vasudevah sarvamiti samahatma sudurlabaha Therefore, after innumerable births, the one who has perfected his or her wisdom, understanding fully my universal reality, surrenders to me, and such a soul is very rare. Shloka 7.20 Kamais taistair hritagnyanaha prapadyante nyadevataha tamtam niyamamasthaya prakritya niyatasvaya Due to various desires, those deprived of knowledge and driven by their own particular nature surrender themselves to the deities and they adapt themselves to their corresponding rites and rituals. Bahunam janmanamante jnanavan maam prapadyate vasudevaha sarvamiti samahatma sudurlabaha jnanavan maam prapadyate only the knowledgeable ones take refuge in me. Maam prapadyate, take refuge in me. But what does Krishna mean by saying maam or me? He says, Vasudeva Sarvamiti, the all-pervading everything that is. He means the knowledgeable one who surrenders to his universal reality. Krishna goes on to say in Shloka 7.24, Avyaktam yaktimapannam manyante mama buddhaya Krishna says, Spiritually weak people who don't understand my exalted, imperishable, finest and supreme state of being think I was formless earlier, but now I have this personality. Those who comprehend the universal nature of the all-pervading divinity will surely find their own acts of pseudo-devotion and bhakti to be funny, childish, unintelligent and totally against the main principles of Advaita Vedanta. I have said this in a number of videos of mine. Before you do something, ask yourself why you're doing it. What sense does it make? What symbolic reference could you be overlooking in a shloka by taking it literally? If you are performing some ritual with the intention of pleasing Krishna so that he may reward you with unearned gifts, you would be committing a grave karmic error simply because, as per one of Krishna's main teachings, whatever you do should be with no attachment to the result. 
Remember the shloka I quoted earlier? Shloka 247 of the Srimad Bhagavad Gita. Here is Shloka 424 of the Srimad Bhagavad Gita to show you how symbolism and allegories are mostly misunderstood by a lot of people. Brahmar Param Brahmahavihi Brahmagno Brahmanahutam Brahmaivatena Gantavyam Brahmakarma Samadhina Krishna says, The eternal truth or Brahman is the offering. Brahman is the clarified butter or ghee poured into the fire of Brahman. For him who, through complete absorption in spiritual activities, has attained spiritual consciousness and sees divinity in everything, the Supreme Being is easily attainable. Did Krishna ask anyone to cut down forests, bring wood, take the milk of a poor animal that she produces for a baby, clarify the milk and pour it into the fire that burns the wood acquired by cutting down a tree? Some may claim that such procedures are given in the Vedas and that is why they do them. Well, if you have some basic knowledge of the Vedas, you will know that the Vedas are of two parts, namely the Karmakanda or the part containing rites and rituals, and the Jnanakanda, or the part that is about knowledge. The four stages in each of the four Vedas are the Samhitas, the Brahmanas, the Aranyakas, and finally the Upanishads. You might want to take my short crash course on an introduction to the Vedas and 10 principal Upanishads available on YouTube, on Udemy, and also as an audiobook on Amazon and other online stores. The first two of the four stages are the Samhitas followed by the Brahmanas of the Karmakanda that contain a huge collection of mantras which concern natural elements represented by various deities. The third and fourth stages are the Aranyakas and the Upanishads that belong to the Jnanakanda or the part of knowledge. The Upanishads, known as Vedanta, which are mostly dialogues, discussions, debates and Q&A sessions between scholarly people and great sages, are the highest and concluding parts of each of the Vedas. In other words, the Vedas form a learning process beginning from the elementary levels of observing, practicing rituals to show one's respect for nature, asking for things they need, figuring things out, realizing, debating, and finally arriving at the knowledge of non-duality or universal oneness. But if some people prefer to stay back in the elementary levels of their spiritual growth by claiming to be sincere in their bhakti, which I call pseudo-bhakti, well, I have nothing to say, but can only feel sorry for them. I feel sorry for them because such beliefs can only push them off the true course towards self-realization and make their exit from their janma painful rather than allow them to blissfully experience their transition into dirganidra or permanent slumber. Rise above duality and work towards Advaita Anubhava because that is the easiest, quickest and the only real path towards absolute fearlessness, phenomenal mental power and the highest experience of divinity and moksha here on earth before exiting the mortal body. Shoka 503 Nye Yasanitya Sanyasi Yona Dveshtina Kangshati 
A person who neither hates nor desires the results of his actions is known to be a sannyasi or one who has renounced everything. Such a person is free from dualities and is therefore liberated from material bondage. Shloka 703 out of thousands of men, hardly one tries to achieve perfection in self-realization. And among those trying so hard to do so, there is hardly one who achieves perfection in self-realization. And among those who do achieve self-realization, there is hardly one who truly knows me. Strive to be that one who truly knows Krishna. The allegory of a sword is used in Shloka 442, in which Krishna asks Arjuna to destroy ignorance with the sword of knowledge. Krishna says, Therefore a descendant of Bharata, destroy doubt born of ignorance of the self seated in your heart with the sword of your knowledge, take to yoga and rise. Remember that there are no unintelligent, unintellectual and dogmatic concepts such as blind belief, the fear of God, divine rewards and punishments, or heaven and hell in the most supreme philosophy of Vedanta. Sri Ramana Maharshi once said, Your own self-realization is the greatest service you can render the world. In Shloka 246, Krishna says that the one who has attained the knowledge of Brahman does not need even the Vedas. Look within you, not outside of you. Use logic and your inborn power of reason. Avoid merely chanting its shlokas without even knowing what they mean, but study the Srimad Bhagavad Gita. Feel free to contact me to study or discuss the Srimad Bhagavad Gita in a rational and scientific manner. I would like to end this presentation with Shloka 21 of the Brahmadhyana Valimala by Sri Adi Shankaracharya. Antar Jyotir Bahir Jyotihi Pratyak Jyotihi Paratparaha Jyotir Jyoti Svayam Jyotir Ratma Jyoti Shivosmyaham I am the auspicious one, the inner light and the outer light, the indwelling light, higher than the highest, the light of all lights, self-luminous, the light that is the self. Stay connected for more videos on Advaita Anubhava, Moksha and similar topics. May peace reign in your heart, mind and soul. Jai Shri Krishna. Om Tatsat. Om Shanti. Shanti. Shanti.